This is the word of God from 2 Corinthians 7, verses 2 to 7. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since I have already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comfort us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Thanks, Hannah. Boy, this is this is weirder feeling than I even thought it was going to be. Uh, if you're watching online, we got we have fewer than ten people gathered here in the office. We have nine, uh, and so got John and Pete and Lindsay. We got Pastor Jason from Martha Lake. He's going to lead us in communion a little bit. Jonathan running sound, BJ running the video, and Jacob monitoring the live feed. And so here's what I need: um, if you're on the live feed uh, on Facebook, you can comment. Uh, like an amen or a hallelujah, and Jacob will yell it out from the back of the room, okay? Can you do that for me, Jacob? You know I need that. Okay. Uh, Also, uh, if you have kiddos who want to go, maybe if you have another device, they want to go into the other room and uh, watch the kids' teaching uh, videos. So so thankful for the resources our kids' team put together with all that. And if you have supplies for communion, you can get them ready. Now, we're in the office, and we're going to crinkle because I didn't want want a Sunday to go by without hearing these packets crinkling. I don't know if that's coming through or not. I, it's always such a you know joyful sound throughout that Linwood High School audience uh, auditorium when we do that. So, hey, uh, I want to take just a few minutes and share from Second Corinthians uh, seven, and I want to pray, and we're going to ju- uh, jump right in here. Lord, I, I thank you for the technology that makes it possible for us to gather this way. Um, we long for the day when we can be together face to face and in person. Lord, we uh, are created in your image and likeness and we are created for relationship. And so, Lord, we we crave that. We long for that. I ask and I pray that you would uh, let there be uh, healing in our land. You would let there be uh, health and that this virus would die down. I ask and I pray that you would give all of our public leaders, uh, civil servants, government officials, great wisdom on how to uh, lead us in this time. God, I pray for the medical professionals who are not only treating people, but also working on uh, finding a cure. I pray that you would give them wisdom from on high. God, I pray for all of our first responders who are uh, dealing with uh, having to go to people's houses or answer different calls. Lord God, I pray you would protect them and bless them. And God, for each and every single one of us, I pray that you would calm fear in our heart, you would calm worry in our heart, and that we would look to Jesus, the one who died and rose again to conquer over our greatest enemy of death. And so may our hope be unshakable in in, in you, Lord Jesus. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I chose this passage from... Second uh, Corinthians, because if you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know that they had some troubles. And uh, there's this little line, you know, about, about conflicts all around and fears within. And, and as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, uh, we know, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, we know that there was church trouble. 
This is a church that had church trouble, people uh, behaving in ways they ought not to behave, people being unloving, uncharitable toward one another. So there was, so there was church problems. And we know that there was trouble in uh, Macedonia. Paul references in this letter and, and in this passage even about um, going into Macedonia. So, so the city of Corinth, if you can think about like Greece on a map, Corinth is kind of down, like south, uh, southeast, I guess that would be, in Greece. And Macedonia was up to the north. And even though for a while it was a unified kingdom under Alexander the Great, they never liked each other. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's one of those kind of geopolitical things in the background of the Bible that maybe you don't think about. But Macedonia had trouble, and it talks about uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, if you keep reading the next pass, the next chapter, it talks about their extreme poverty. So Macedonia was dealing with some sort of extreme poverty and other situations when Paul and his associates went there, they had hardships there. But we also know, if you read the book of Acts, that Jerusalem was going through hardships. Uh, the city of Jerusalem had a, had a famine, and, and, and I, I did some reading on this. I wanted to spend a lot more time reading on this than the time that I had. But basically, the emperor, Caligula, had done a really bad job of managing the empire— Claudius becomes the emperor, and he's trying to kind of fix all of this mess that's happening all throughout the Roman Empire, and there's about a 10-year period right around the time when these letters are being written from the mid to late 40s to the mid to late 50s where the government of the day was trying to figure out how to calm down widespread financial economic collapse. So just try to wrap your mind around this situation from the New Testament. The Bible's obviously so different and irrelevant to our situation. That's sarcasm if you don't know me well yet. There's a lot of big problems going on in the world, and I would maybe humbly submit to those of us who are particularly younger that the world has known a lot more of these large-scale type of problems than maybe we're used to. One friend in a, in a text message last week said, this is kind of like our kids' 9-11. And I thought about that. Yeah, my, my, my older kids are texting with their friends and messaging with their friends about this, this coronavirus and schools are shutting down and businesses are shutting down and people are sick and are dying and there's economic uh, collapse. And it's just a kind of a widespread situation, a big mess. But this is not new to the world and it is not new to the scripture that God has given to us. And when we, when we experience hardships, whether they're small-scale personal hardships or, or large-scale hardships, I think there's some ways that we can deal with them wrongly. Sometimes when we, when we have hardships, some of us are, are tempted to avoid them. It's kind of like, a, like well, what problems? I don't, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm not even paying attention. I'm, just, I'm, not, uh, I'm not willing to kind of acknowledge the seriousness of the problem. Others take that to the next level and actually go into escapism. We try to escape from our problems and it could be something as uh, socially acceptable as binge watching Netflix all the way up to something uh, sinful such as, you know, uh, drunkenness or, or, or drug use or pornography, escapism. Some, uh, maybe particularly the more religious minded among us will trivialize you hear things like, well, this, this too shall pass, or just keep your head up, or all things work together, and it's, it's, it's done in a trivial sort of a way. It's like that uh, theologian Dory the Fish said, just keep swimming, right? You just you keep uh, throwing out little trivial statements instead of actually acknowledging the weight and the gravity of the situation. And then for others, maybe you're not so trivial about it, but you deny. 
this is the this is the you know pain is just an illusion or well we needed a good economic collapse and it's the stiff upper lip it's the it's the the knight from uh, Monty Python it's merely a flesh wound right like no your arm is your your arm is cut off the Bible in fact teaches us to be honest about our hardships verse five says in fact when we came into Macedonia Paul writes we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside and fears within. I mean, think about that. He he acknowledges there are real conflicts. There are real problems. There are real troubles. And, And these circumstances affect us in a number of ways. But one of the main ways that these circumstances affect us is through fear. I mean, Paul is acknowledging fear. Genuine fear. What's going to happen? How are we going to get through this? I'm struggling. I'm not doing well. And so I think the Bible, I mean, you, maybe you've heard it said, the Bible is, is the most honest book ever written. I think that this honesty that we're invited into is the way, starting point, if we want to experience God's comfort. I'll say it this way. Only if we're honest about our circumstances and our fears can we truly experience God's comfort? I know a lot of people are asking a lot of questions, and the questions are different for people. For some of you, the, the fear is about health. Uh, will I get sick? Will someone I know get sick? Uh, we, we have members of Sound City Bible Church um, who are today grieving the loss of a loved one. Someone uh, from Sound City uh, had a, a grandparent pass away from coronavirus. Pastor Jason, I saw someone from Martha Lake asking for prayers for a friend who is sick. I mean, this is real. This is real stuff. At least one member that we know of has been self-quarantined for a few weeks, still healthy and doing well, but, but sick. Some of your fears are about the economic disruption. I've had multiple conversations this week, multiple tears shed with friends and and loved ones over what's going to happen with my job. How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to feed my family? This is real problems and real fears. Some of you are wondering what's going to happen with my kid's school, graduating seniors. Am I going to have to repeat this grade? Am I going to be doing school in through the summer? We even the, Washington State, at least one thing I saw, they said, we don't even know if we're going to be open for school again in the fall. Some of you parents, do I have to learn how to become a homeschool parent? Yeah, probably. I don't know. These are real problems. They're real fears. And we do ourselves no favors when we try to avoid or escape or diminish or deny. Instead, the God of the universe invites us to be honest. And it's in that place where we get to experience his comfort. Verse six, but God who comforts the downcast. After being honest about these problems, Paul looks to the God of comfort. And I I spent time looking throughout the Bible hundreds of times where it references the comfort of God. God is a God of comfort. Actually, at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul explicitly calls God the God of all comfort. Comfort is in his nature. It's who God is. It's what he does. 
In Psalm 119, verse 50, the psalmist says that it's God's promises that give us comfort. The promises of God. And and just so we're clear, friends, the promises of God are not necessarily that we're going to experience health and financial well-being and all of our relationships in this life going smoothly. No, the promises of God ultimately are found in Jesus, in the Messiah. God's promise is the Messiah. And I was thinking about that passage from Isaiah 61, uh, you know, the beginning where we're in, in talking prophetically about the coming of the Messiah, Isaiah says, you know, the, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor and all those different verses. And then it says to comfort those who mourn. When Jesus inaugurated his public ministry, uh, you can read about it in, in, in uh, Luke, in Luke's gospel in particular. He unrolls the scroll in the synagogue, in the gathering. He reads these verses and he says, today this is fulfilled in your midst. Jesus came to show us that God is the God of all comfort. And friends, Jesus, his life included great suffering. It's not just the cross, his whole life. Jesus knew what it was like to struggle against worry and fear. Now we know that Jesus never sinned. He is perfect in all of his ways. But the Bible tells us that Jesus experienced our trials, our temptations. He suffered. Uh, He wrestled in the garden. He wept tears. He sweat drops of blood. Jesus knows what it's like to face conflicts on the outside and that gnawing sense of fear within. And Jesus suffered on the cross more ultimately than any of us ever have or ever will. It's not to diminish our suffering. Our suffering is hard. It is real. But Jesus faced the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin and our rebellion. Jesus knows suffering, the kind of suffering that we know and beyond. And Jesus rose from the dead, conquering the greatest enemy of humanity, Death itself. Friends, Jesus died and Jesus rose and he said, if anyone would put their faith in him, even if they die, yet shall they live and he will raise us up on the last day. Friends, we have an amazing savior. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to experience fear. And yet he has conquered over all of that and he gives us great peace. And so I want to encourage you Be honest, but remember the hope that we have in Jesus. We can can miss out on God's comfort by not being honest, denying, avoiding, escaping. We can also miss out on God's comfort by only being honest. Boy, this is terrible. Boy, this is suffering. Boy, you know, it's, it's the, it's, you know, when you stayed up till 1.20 uh, a.m. reading the next blog post and clicking the next thing and the next thing that's going to help you figure out and you're going to solve coronavirus in your footy pajamas in bed late at night. You're not. <laughs> we need to focus on Jesus. Not just the honesty about our, our suffering, but the hope that we have in him. And then, I love the way that this passage shows us the way that God uses the relationships and the people to bring that comfort. So, but God, in verse 6, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. 
and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing. He told us about your sorrow. He told us about your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. I love that it tells us that God delivered his comfort. It says, God comforted us by the arrival of Titus and by the news that he said of the comfort he received from you. It's particularly striking because, if you again, you know the Corinthian letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You know that Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth was not always smooth. He doesn't always have the most uh, encouraging things to say to the church in Corinth. But even in that... There's this encouragement that comes from knowing the people of God. That's one of the things, at least for me, that's the most painful about this whole situation, about gathering on Facebook and gathering digitally, is is being separated from the people of God. We are created for relationship. We are meant for hugs and handshakes and high fives and time just spent looking into each other's eyes. We're meant for all of those things. And God delivers us great encouragement through his people. And, and I guess I would just say, uh, while we can't gather together and we're, we're not supposed to be in, in larger groups, I will say this. This is not unprecedented in the history of the world. Churches have had to close down before. You can go read some uh, history books, not only in the West where Christianity has been, you know, uh, the, the free and legalized and all that stuff, but in, in countries where Christianity is outlawed, they still have to find ways to gather. I, I would just say, I love the heart of Paul in this letter. I, I looked through almost every letter of Paul. He says something in the letter. I just long to be with you. I hope to come visit you. I long to see you face to face. The only two exceptions I could find was Galatians. He did not say, I want to be with you. And actually, 2 Corinthians. He doesn't really say that in there. Paul had to use the technology that was available to him that day. Paper and pen. We've got microphones and cameras and Facebook. And so, what a joy that that is. I I just want to encourage you to commit to connection with God's people however you can. Commit to connection with God's people however you can. So technology, write a letter, phone call, FaceTime, text message, any of those things. And and let me just encourage you, not just with the technology, but let me just encourage you in your heart, three things that will help you be committed to connection. Number one, I want to encourage you to stir up affection in your heart for the people. You have people in your life that you love and and they're important to you. Think on them. Dwell on them. When I when I preached the the last sermon in the book of Colossians, one of the things that was just so encouraging to me was just to see all of those specific names that Paul listed. These are people that he knows and people that he loves and people that he cares about. I want to encourage you to pray regularly for those people. I see a lot of you know, stuff right now about people, I'm going to deep clean my garage and I'm going to read 27 books and I'm going to, you know, learn jujitsu from YouTube videos. That's all great. That's all fine and good. But pray. If you're at home and you're not going to work or your kids aren't in school, you have some more time. Let's be committed people of prayer. And then number three, again, connect as you're able. Text message, phone call, you know, 
I had a nice, uh, socially distant conversation with two of my neighbors yesterday out in the sunshine. We were standing out kind of in the cul-de-sac and just connect as you're able. Check in on the people you know and check in on the people you love. So let me just, let me just say this. In closing, I want to encourage you. There's a lot of things vying for our attention right now, whether it's the news or radio or blogs or we're trying to see what's happening with, with the world. I want to encourage you to keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He loves us. He understands our suffering and our worries. He understands the future. We don't know the future, but we know him. Keep your focus on Jesus. And I'll close with some words from Psalm 4. I, I love this verse. This was very encouraging to me when I came across this. I'll just, I'll read this. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Does that sound like our situation now? A lot of people. Who can show me something good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their new wine abound. When, when circumstances are good, when you got lots of money, lots of grain, lots of wine, I have even more joy in my heart. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have joy in our hearts. I pray that you'd help us to lie down and sleep in peace. Lord, you alone are our refuge. You're our source of joy. Help us to cling to you. Help us to pray, keep our eyes focused on you. Help us to love one another well. And may the love of Jesus be shown in and through our lives, even in these strange and difficult days. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite Pastor Jason to come and lead us in communion. So if you have supplies, you can get them ready. I'll hand it off to you. Come on, brother. Right, so if you have those communion supplies, go ahead and grab those and make them handy. We're going to read our, our, Lord, our communion passage uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as uh, we're, we're thinking about this passage, uh, Paul actually wrote this passage because the church at Corinth was celebrating the Lord's Supper, as Paul calls it, in a way that divided the church, that separated the church. And what Paul is trying to instill it to that church and to us is that the Lord's Supper actually should bring the church together should unite us around Christ and his sacrifice. And so uh, it, even though we physically are separated, we are spiritually united right now. And so what we're going to do, just as Pastor Aaron just uh, encouraged us, to, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so let us do that. Let us discern the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ spilled for us, because we are unworthy, but he washes us clean. And so as we have a few minutes to reflect and repent and express our faith to the Lord and then partake of the elements, we're reflecting on Christ. We're proclaiming his death and resurrection until he comes. Let me pray for us and then on your own at home uh, over the next few minutes, you take the elements. Let's pray. Our God, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, your precious son, our perfect savior. We thank you that he did bear our sins in his body that was broken that he did shed his precious blood to make us clean. And so as we partake these elements, Lord, we are focusing on him. We are proclaiming our faith is in him that we need the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And we are united with the people of God through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we give you thanks. Jesus.